Today on Tune FM, I'm talking with Dr. Joanna Garnett from UNE about the impact of nuclear weapons on peace and development. As a lecturer in sociology and peace studies, Joanna is also the discipline convener for peace studies here at UNE and has presented her work at a national and international conference level. So throughout history, we've seen the devastating effects that impact that nuclear weapons can have, you know, these impacts that are to this day remembered. What effect does just even the threat of nuclear weapons have on this idea and development of peace? Yeah, well, that's interesting. That's how you define peace. What do we mean by peace? When in peace studies, we discuss this notion of positive peace, which we argue is the long term for cultivating peace or building peace or transforming conflicts from um, a situation of either direct violence or what we call structural violence, where there's ongoing inequalities and discrimination, uh, to a situation where we've addressed those issues about equality, inequalities, um, people's having a voice, for example. Um, So this sort of overlying threat in a way that certain powers have the ability to annihilate sections of humanity Uh, have a trickle-down effect, I think, to concerns over enduring peace or positive peace because there's so much that we need to do at a local, regional, national and global level to address structural issues. So if we were to look at nuclear weapons and the proliferation of weapons, we could look at the cost of these weapons to begin with the material investment and the human resources investment in the proliferation of nuclear weapons. So the Centre for um, uh, the International Peace Research Institute does a report every year on how many nuclear weapons there actually are in the world. And I think there's about 12,500 currently in the world. And 90% of those weapons are stockpiled by Russia and the US. Now, if we think immediately there in a sort of framework of development and peace, think of the money that's being invested, trillions and trillions of dollars that could be utilised on the ground, literally, to address the issues that sort of ridiculously so many people are arguing that we need a war for. You know, so there's issues of conflict that people are saying, you know, we have ideological differences, Um, or we have resource conflicts, which is what much of the wars are about now. So we're going to um, address those concerns by killing each other uh, or annihilating each other rather than saying we could actually utilise that money on the ground through dialogue and development. Because in a way, it's a stalemate, right? It's you have all of these big, scary weapons and I have all of these big, scary weapons and neither of us are going to use it. Mm. Mm, one would no, hope. <laughs> one would hope, but there is no promise. So can you really call that peace or is it a cessation of conflict? Um, well, there hasn't... I mean, since the devastating impacts of the bombs that were dropped by the US in, in the Second World War to end the Second World War with Japan, we haven't had... the u- no, Nuclear weapons haven't been used. I mean, there have been a lot of testing and sort of postulating... Um, I lived in England in the early 1980s at the end of the Cold War, and we were very cognizant that one of one of those superpowers, either Russia or the US, could, um, you know, send nuclear weapons. That, that it was actually 
for a few years there was a real concern that we were going to have nuclear war. Um, I've also been to Los Alamos in New Mexico. I don't know if you've seen the Oppenheimer movie or some of the listeners might have seen it. Um, I've actually been there. Uh, It's horrifying to think um, that, that this is where we've invested our energies. And the notion of proliferation, yes, does relate to a stalemate. But say if you were to build your stockpile... I'm cognizant that you have that power, so I then up the ante. So I'm not matching your stockpile. I want more than you have. And with technological advances, the problem is that this weaponry is becoming more sophisticated. It has a longer range, and we're seeing that with North Korea's sort of testing. And, And what they're doing is saying we can get further and further each time we send that missile away. So it is creating um, a sense of fear, a sense of uncertainty. I think we're in what we could, what many are calling an age of uncertainty. Um, we don't know with these shifting relationships with the global powers. So we've just seen Kim Jong-un's just arrived in Russia on his train to talk trade, apparently, with Putin. But these are the two sort of nuclear superpowers at the moment, so... Um, yeah, it does create a, um, a fear in us, and that's why ICANN uh, made this declaration. So the International Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament uh, made a declaration recently in India to the G20 to say, let's stop the rhetoric. Right? We've had enough. Uh, we do have treaties. We have legislation. These are global. They're international. Let's stop the talk and actually do something to stop this proliferation um, and development of, of the weapons. What are some ways that we can actually stop the proliferation? Because it's mm. like these have radiation in them. We can't just get rid of them. There's a lot of work that needs to go into. So how mm. do we go about doing that? Yeah, well, see, that's interesting. So you do it through activism and raising awareness and starting a conversation like this one. Um, and this is what ICANN is trying to achieve ICANN was founded in 2007, uh, is based in Switzerland, but um, we have um, offices here in Australia. And the director of ICANN Australia, Jem Rommeld, was actually here in Armadale in last December at the UNEP Studies Conference, was a keynote speaker. Uh, just raising these awarenesses and uh, agitating for new policies and legislation that don't buy in to this sort of nuclear power game. Um, Now, one of these um, is agitating for the Labor government to sign the TPNW. So we have the nuclear, uh, non-nuclear proliferation treaty, the NPT, of which we are a signatory, but we haven't signed up to the latest signatory, um, which was uh, formulated by the UN in 2017. Now, Penny Wong spoke about this earlier this year in relation to AUKUS, and the concern in Australia is that Australia has signed up to the NPT and has been you know, very vocal against nuclear weaponry, although we have allowed testing here in Australia to our detriment. Um, and, but now we have AUKUS and we have this deal with the US and the UK for nuclear-powered submarines. And... 
the Labor government have sort of taken a step back now and they're just saying, we'll, we'll be led by um, the US on this. We're not going, we just want to take a cautious and slow approach towards um, our stance on nuclear weapons. So I think this gives us an opportunity as, as concerned citizens, as activists, as peace practitioners to agitate for policy change and legislation. So if we're concerned about um, the situation of proliferation of weaponry, I think we any influence we might have would be to the US, if at all. I don't think we can influence you know, North Korea or Russia. Um, build stronger alliances through trade and development, which I believe the Labor government is trying to do, particularly in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, learn about who is making these decisions. Email Penny Wong, email Albanese, get involved advocacy or activism group and become a voice for peace. Um, and just say this, not on our watch. <laughs> like um, There's so much more we could be spending our money on. Uh, now with AUKUS um, and the nuclear-powered submarines, they're not nuclear-armed. But they're going, the, the costs are already blowing out. So it's, you know, around $300 billion. Um, the argument from the government for this investment is that it's going to protect us uh, if China, you know, starts to expand its territories in the Asia Pacific or the Ch South China Seas. But for those of us who are really concerned that this is possibly a slippery slope, that once we've got, you know, nuclear powered, you know, we're... We're sort of creating a relationship with a nuclear um, country um, that these uh, submarines are actually going to be used for attack purposes, not defence. And there's no such thing as just a little nuclear bomb. It just it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's, it's zero to 100. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what's interesting there is, the, uh, you know, the bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki was called Little Boy. And if you look at the proliferation... They've actually, the, as the bombs get bigger, literally get bigger, the names change. So it becomes, you know, big boy or, you know, father bomb. Um, it's, um, yeah, you can see that sort of just posturing for power at, at that international level. And Australia is, you know, a regional sort of small player, really. But um, uh, it's uh, to me, it's very concerning. AUKUS is very concerning that we're sort of in lockstep with the US on this. Um, the argument is for trade and jobs and manufacturing and defence, but um, uh, I, I think it's misguided, um, sort of pardon the pun. Um, so I think we, if you're concerned about nuclear weapons and you're concerned about nuclear war, I would say educate yourself on AUKUS, educate yourself on Australia's policies towards nuclear weapons and agitate for it to become a signatory on, on this new treaty. So what is the difference between this new treaty and, and the old treaty, the, um, the treaty on the non-proliferation? Yes, good, good, good question. The TPNW has, according to Wong, has substantial normative value in that it's sort of shaping where we might now go with international partners. So sort of urging people to, to rethink yeah, their proliferation um, and, of course, the nuclear powers have not signed to this. So we have nine nuclear powers in, in the world, uh, the five core ones being Russia, China, Korea, 
not. So the new treaty is the treaty on the prohib- prohibition, sorry, of nuclear weapons. So the TPNW. Um, so what this means for Australia is that we would cease to claim protection under the US nuclear umbrella and it would mean ensuring that joint defence facilities didn't have a nuclear role um, and that any of our weaponry is not, or um, uh, submarines for example, are not nuclear capable. So it's just trying to take that um, one step further to getting a world where um, we have we are nuclear free. Uh, so that would mean that these nuclear stockpiles, that the countries who have nuclear weapons would have to stop, stop stockpiling, stop manufacturing, um, uh, diffuse or um, destroy. <laughs> How do you destroy nuclear weapons? Um, and just stop the manufacture. So it's just trying. So it's just taking it that one step further. Yeah. yeah, for the world, and it was discussed at the G20. So the G20 summit held uh, last weekend in New Delhi, uh, representing the nineteen sort of key players in the world that represent eighty-five to ninety percent of GDP of the world. So you know, the argue is that um, these G20 countries have the power, and so it was. It is on the agenda of the G20 summit, but um, of course, Russia and Korea. Are, are not going to come to the table. And I suppose we, until everyone is at the table, it's mm. hard to have that full, consistent conversation. Yeah. And look, I, I don't really feel, um, you know, like we're looking at sort of populist leaders in Kim Jong-un and, um, and Putin, and, and then we don't know if Trump will come back into power next year. But I still don't think that they want nuclear war because they know that once one side starts... Um, any nuclear war is going to impact the whole world. There is no winner. Yeah, there is no winner. So um, I think our key concern is is the cost and the misguided uh, expenditure. So the military-industrial complex just is this sort of monster of corporations and businesses um, really are, are ruling the world. Um, it's not only nuclear weapons, it's weaponry in general. I think we need to be very aware of who those corporations are, uh, how they're influencing policy and politics, and uh, again, educate ourselves um, and agitate for change. Yeah, and the best way to learn more is to go out and educate yourself and then you mm. can make a change. Mm. And of course, that's what Peace Studies does at UNE. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, I'm teaching first years at the moment uh, about environmental peace. And, of course, in in that um, unit, we talk about the impact of nuclear testing, the environmental impacts of war, uh, but also resource conflicts as well. Um, and this is a new way of thinking for so many people, looking at the world through a peace lens of what does peace mean to us. Of course, we live in a relatively peaceful country in Australia. Um uh, as compared to so many countries in the world. Of course, in the Ukraine, uh, I work in Myanmar in Southeast Asia. Uh, they're making alliances with uh, North Korea. Uh, they're arming them in their war against their own people. Um, so we have the opportunity in Australia, uh, in our peaceful environment and in our democracy, to make a change, to be leaders of change. Um, particularly in the Asia-Pacific area, where many of our students will work, 
um, and they will work in government and, and in policy. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming in and for educating us on this matter. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, really good to get an actual perspective on what it means from mm. someone who has an understanding. Yeah, and of course, uh, for anybody interested, you can go to the ICANN website. Uh, Greenpeace as well also has really uh, useful resources about the military-industrial complex, the costs and how you might make a change. And uh, of course, go to DFAT and government websites as well and look at their commentary. So you need to understand both sides of the argument. Thank you very much for coming in today, Joanna. Thank you.